0: Over the past few weeks, we have been reading from the first chapter in Mark. So if you remember, a number of weeks ago, we read about Jesus' baptism. That's how Mark begins his gospel. Uh, last week, we read about how Jesus called his first disciples. And today, the reading that we just heard uh, tells us about Jesus initiating his public ministry. We're told that Jesus is in Capernaum, and when the Sabbath rolls around, he goes to the synagogue, and at the synagogue, he does two things. And commentators, they argue that what Mark is doing here is he is setting the stage for what's to come. These two things, two acts uh, that Jesus accomplishes, uh, they help define what Jesus' ministry is all about. So what are those two things? Well, first, he teaches, and we're told uh, that he teaches with authority. And then second, he drives out an unclean spirit. can be translated as an impure or evil spirit, a demon. So he performs an exorcism. So these two two acts, they help define Jesus' ministry. And today, I want to focus on the second. Because that's the one that we we struggle with. I mean, Jesus as a teacher makes sense. We we got that. But what does it mean uh, that Jesus is one who drives out unclean spirits or evil spirits? Uh, Do we even believe in evil spirits and demons? So let's just take a few moments and reflect on this act of Jesus and and what it means about his ministry. Uh, There's a parable that Jesus tells. It's about the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out one day and he plants his field. Now Now the farmer, he does a good job. He prepares the field. He puts good seed in the soil and when he's done with his work he goes goes back home now some time goes by and the crops begin to sprout and that's when the servants of the farmer they go out and they look at the field and they realize pretty quickly that the field is a mess there there are weeds everywhere and so they go to the farmer and they say what happened i mean weeds are everywhere in the field you must have done a terrible job And the farmer says, no, no, it it wasn't me. It must have been an enemy. An enemy did this. I didn't plant those weeds. An enemy has planted them. Kind of reminds me, uh, as a parent, when my children were younger, I would sometimes go into their room and their rooms would be a mess. Uh, Toys and and clothes everywhere. Uh, And I would say to them, what happened in here? Right? This room was clean this morning. And they would you know, look around and they'd say, I-, I don't know. Somebody else must have done this. You know, part of growing up is learning how to accept responsibility. Part of being an adult is accepting the consequences of your actions. And we value that. We value the virtue of responsibility. Take responsibility for what you've done. You are responsible for your future. Heard someone not too long ago say, you make good choices in life and your life will turn out well. So we, so we say these things. And yet, when we read the scriptures, we find stories like this one about the farmer. He he did a good job, but things did not work out for him. Over and over again, we find that responsibility is not the last word about our behavior and our circumstances. Rowan Williams, uh, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, he has a great little essay on this idea, and he, and he writes the following. He says, Often we are told that we are in control in control of what we do and how we think. But more often than not, this is not the case. More often, human action is confused, partly conscious, partly instinctive response to the givenness of a world we do not dominate, a world of histories and ideas, languages and societies, structures we have not built, more perhaps than we ever realize or accept We are being acted upon as much as acting. Like that line. We are being acted upon as much as acting. And he goes on. If our assumption of responsibility rests on a belief that we can construct the patterns of our own lives, it is an illusion of omnipotence. This is a hard lesson to learn. We all like to believe otherwise. We all like to think that we are in control. But intentions are not enough. Reality is stronger. So what he's saying is that there are forces that act upon us, which is uncomfortable to think about because that means that we're not completely in control. We don't don't like the idea that incomprehensible forces are acting upon us. But the truth is these forces are at work. And I think we know this if we're honest. I mean, we see this in our lives. We see this in the lives of others. And to me, this speaks to the trustworthiness of the scriptures, that they they talk about this, they address it. The scriptures tell us that there is something in the world that is trying to trip us up. There's this menacing force in the world. And again, I think we've all encountered it. The accusing presence, the voice that condemns us, shames us. There is something, as one author writes, that inflates our hatreds and pushes even our loves into cruelty. Rowan Williams, in that same essay, He writes this, the devil and demons, these are not a convenient metaphor for extreme wickedness or even for the acute sense of meaninglessness. The devil is more of a person than a symbol. There is more than a projection here, more than an externalizing of inner conflict. In some sense, we really do meet another, a stranger, something that waits for us. Scripture uh, testifies to the existence of evil, a force, again, that menaces us. We encounter it every day, and and yet it is so hard to get our our arms around it. As St. Paul even talks about it as the mystery of iniquity. It's a mystery. And I think one of the most mysterious things about it is that it's impossible to separate ourselves from this force it's not as if you know evil's over here and we're over on the other side separated no instead we find that we're we're wrapped up in it I mean even in our passage the unclean spirit uh, it indwells the man there's a great uh, passage in The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And it's when Ivan, one of the brothers, encounters a nice middle-class 19th-century devil. Now Ivan understands himself understands himself as a progressive, a, a modern, educated individual. And what Ivan discovers is that the devil's most refined torture is the refusal to tell us clearly whether he is us or not. And Ivan, he goes mad trying to understand. Is the devil me or not me? Is it I or not I? It it is hard to objectify evil because it's so wrapped up in us. I mean, sometimes... We, we see the results of it. I mean, take, for example, the extermination camps of World War II. I mean, we can point to that and say it's evil. But was that the result of the, the darkness in the heart of man? Or was there another force at work? It, it is hard to discern where we end and evil begins. You know, when the Bible talks about unclean spirits, demons, the devil... It's not trying to explain. Instead, it's just naming this reality. The Bible clearly believes in objective evil, believes in a reality called evil. And maybe the Bible doesn't explain it to us because we can't understand it. But what it does want to tell us is something very important about it. And that is God is opposed to it. And that God has come into the world to defeat it. That God has overcome evil and freed us from evil in Jesus. Again, again, listen to how Mark sets up the ministry of Jesus from from our reading. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. The spirit was haunting him. And the unclean spirit cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. Jesus is the one who comes with authority. He comes to bring order, to save us from this menacing force because we can't do it ourselves. Uh, There's a passage in Isaiah uh, chapter 49. And in this passage, God is speaking to his people, speaking to the people of Israel. Uh, And uh, Israel at this time, they are not in a a good position. This is a very difficult time uh, when God is speaking to them. And God says this to his people. He says, I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame for I will contend with those who contend with you. I will contend with those who contend with you. God promises to contend with those who contend with us, with this enemy that plants weeds in our fields, with this force that afflicts us that we don't understand. And what that means, means for us, and this is important, it means that, that faith is not just about self-fulfillment or about becoming a better person. Instead, faith rests on a victory. A victory that has been won for us. You know, each one of us has to contend with this mysterious force of evil. You'll contend with it today. And all of us at at different times find ourselves menaced by it. All of us have been wounded by it. We carry scars from this fight, just as Jesus carries the scars of the cross. But only Jesus overcomes. Only he is victorious. And he's victorious for us. And if we believe that, it doesn't take away the pain, but it does take away the threat of evil. Let me end by reading one last quote uh, from that essay by Rowan Williams. He says, We are not wrong to fear evil. It is constantly present as a possibility in what we do and think. We are wrong only if we forget that the one freedom that is assured to us, the only freedom that finally matters, is the capacity to say yes to God, to say yes. God's great yes to us in Christ, remembering that no powers of darkness and chaos and evil can rob us of that consent. We are loved by a God who promises that evil will not have the last word in our lives or in the world. Loved by a God who stands with us. By a God who drives out demons. Amen.